All right, audio check. This is Tony. Tony, Skippy, we ready to go? Yeah, I think we're ready. Uh, what's the matter? Shiv, have you been crying? No, no. Rob, uh, Chris Roberts is going to be here any minute now, and you look like someone just shot your dog. What's going on? We didn't want to burden you with this. N not before you went on camera. Burden me with what? Skiffy, Skiffy overheard something terrible. Skiffy? Well, it seems that CIG just sold out to a consortium of major video publishers. Sold out? Uh, which publishers? That's the thing. It's all of them. All of them? Yeah, they pooled their money, ran up some astronomical debt, and just bought the company, lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, how much money are you talking about? A staggering amount. Uh, can you, somebody put that in context for me here? Think of it. If Warren Buffett took Scrooge McDuck on a Vegas weekend, that's how much they're spending on just the boat. Just the boat. Just the boat. You know, the sale price is equal to more than the gross domestic product of some Central American countries. Okay, that's a whole lot of money. An embarrassing amount of money, Tony. Embarrassing. Well, okay. Well, the game's shutting down. Oh, no. Uh, but there will be a few changes. All for the best, I guess. Uh, what kind of changes? Well, for one thing, the publisher model allows for market research. What kind of research? Well, the target demographic for this game, the hardcore space sim, market research shows that while playing, these gamers like to eat snacks covered with cheese powder. Cheese powder. Right, Tony. It looks like it's a good portion of your diet. You know, Cheetos, Doritos, corn nuts? Wait, corn nuts have cheese powder? Some kinds, I think. Well, look, the point is, CIG has to make a game that can be played one-handed. One-handed. Oh, right. I mean, no one wants cheese powder on their $200 HOTUS, right? Oh, okay, so no throttles, no game controllers, mouse and keyboard only. Well, more like mouse or keyboard. Well, more like mouse and spacebar. Uh, actually, it's more like left mouse button and spacebar. So how are you going to fly a ship? Oh, no more ships, Tony. No, no more ships? No, uh, instead we get... Ponies. Actually, sparkly space ponies sparkly with space laser beams no. that shoot out of their eyes no. and no. rainbows from their no. unicorn no. horns. No, 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 no. This is not true. This is impossible. Search for things. You know it's true. No, 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 no. no. Hey, Tony, mm -hmm. Tony, Tony, mm -hmm. wake up. No. Oh, oh, sorry, I had a oh, late, late, late flight in last night. Sorry, those dogs. Should we stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay, great. We'll just come on. It's great. Here. You're no. going to get an exclusive thing, you know? Cool. All right, let's do this. All right. I haven't go. even told the team about the space ponies yet. My portside thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be radial. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, sits and sieves, and you're tuned to the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 26, and was recorded live on the 7th of June, and made available for download on the 10th of June at guardfrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Jeff. And as Tony's at the live finale of The Next Great Starship, we are joined by Jace from our sister production, Priority One. Say hello to the boys and girls, Jace. Hello! All right, so why don't you tell them what we've got this week? In this week's Squawk Box, we take a look at the real-life Next Great Starship. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest in-universe fiction, 10 for the Chairman, episode 23, the final episodes of both Wingman's Hangar and The Next Great Starship. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we take our first look at Arena Commander. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. And if that wasn't enough for you lucky listeners, we've also got an interview with Chris Roberts, the chairman himself, as he joins us from the set of the Next Great Starship competition in LA. Sits and Sivs, we're always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join our crew here at Guard Frequency, and we're especially looking for an audio engineer to come and join the team here and assist with our weekly shows. So... 
If you got a creative itch that needs scratching, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email with your experience to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This, after all, is a labor of love. But we do look great on a CV or a resume. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Hey, you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This is Lennon saying, welcome to the Squawk Box, everybody. With the next great starship coming to an end, we thought it was only fitting here on Guard Frequency to discuss the real-life next great starship. Elon Musk and his company SpaceX are famed for being the first commercially built spacecraft to be successfully recovered from orbit with the Dragon in 2010, and then taking it one step further by delivering cargo to the International Space Station in 2012. All the flights of the Dragon so far have been unmanned, with the first manned mission planned for 2016, so the Dragon will be capable not only of delivering goods, but also people to the International Space Station. Being designed as an unmanned craft from the get-go, the Dragon is having to undergo extensive refits to be suitable for crew. And although it won't be the most luxurious ride, it will get you from A to 370 kilometers above A and back again. But Mr. Musk isn't stopping there, no, no. Alongside the refinements to the Dragon, SpaceX are developing the next Great Dragon. The version 2 of the Dragon spacecraft will be capable of land touchdowns, which will be handy as she's expected to carry up to seven astronauts. And she features propulsive landing, boasting that the Dragon 2 can land almost anywhere in the world with the accuracy of a helicopter. Thanks to its eight side-mounted Super Draco engines, clustered in redundant pairs in four engine pods with each engine capable of producing 71 kilonewtons of thrust. As for the inside, the Dragon V2 is surprisingly spacious, and as well as featuring tan leather seats that would feel more at home on an episode of That 70s Show, it has an impressive array of tablet-like computer screens that swivel down from the ceiling for optional crew control by the pilot and co-pilot, and the user interface looks like something that's fresh out of a sci-fi movie, and these things are large, crisp, and clear, which is perfect for playing a quick game of Arena Commander. In addition, the Dragon V2 comes with a reusable nose cone, which can pivot on a hinge to enable in-space docking, while returning to the covered position for re-entry and for future launches. But, much like the 890 jump in Star Citizen, the luxury comes at a price. At a NASA news conference on the 18th of May, SpaceX confirmed that their launch target price for crewed Dragon flights is $140 million, or $20 million per seat if the maximum crew of seven is aboard, and this is only if NASA agrees to order at least four Dragon Rider flights per year. Although that might seem like it's breaking the bank, and I don't know about you guys, but it's certainly more money than I have just sitting around down the back of the sofa, this pales in comparison to the 2014 Soyuz launch price of $76 million per seat for NASA astronauts. The Dragon V2 could make its first flight as early as late 2015, and with its first flight with people as early as 2016. I saw the reveal and as much as I could dig in the intertubes, and I'll say this for Elon, I appreciate his visionary work and his designs, but this is the same thing I have with self-driving cars that have no control, that have no manual steering. I'm an IT guy. I work in the business of computers and tablets and laptops and servers. And when it breaks, everything goes down. So if you don't have a backup manual system somewhere on board, I would design one in. You have to say the same thing crossed my mind thinking about all those touchscreen displays, but I have to assume they have some sort of redundant systems built into the design. But it really seems like this is the future of space exploration is this private model. I really see that's yeah. where the innovation is going. Yeah, I, d- I did feel that the inside felt a little bit 80s sci-fi tacky. Am <laughs> I the only one that's getting that vibe? Are we all expected to wear capes and silver pants? You were definitely right on the money about that. The thing about space exploration is I grew up with NASA. I mean, I'm 52 years old and I remember the lunar landing. So I'm a two minds here. I, I thought NASA was a great organization and institution. I just don't think it ever got the backing that we should have gotten. I think we would be on Mars by now if the government had stepped up. But uh, it is what it is. And I agree. I think that commercial exploitation, kind of a play on words there, to the outer (laughs) fringes of space is going to be how we get there. Read, see, or hear something that you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawkatguardfrequency.com. Now, let's check out some CIG news. 
This time we get a Hadesian artifact, a mysterious object of mystery, and our final piece of flair, the engine tuning kit, which comes with everything a budding engineer needs to make adjustments to his favorite spacecraft. Chris also tells us that the next stretch goal reward will be a commercial for a ship of our choosing, so be sure to cast your vote over on the RSI website. May's monthly report was released, and although all the attention has been on Arena Commander, it's still great to hear and see the progress being made by all the other teams. We hear that Squadron 32 are starting the white box their levels for review before adding more detail and texture passing. The M50 is looking incredibly good and is nearly ready to be released. And much, much more. Make sure that you check out the latest report over the RSI website. Well, another week's rolled by and another two great pieces of fiction have come to us from RSI. First up, we get the latest entry into the Terra Gazette titled No More Words, where a case of space rubbernecking leaves a civilian witnessing the worst of humanity as they get to see firsthand the choices that slavers force the advocacy to make. Either let them go or they kill the slaves. And second on our list is the continuation of the first run, a sorry Lyrax delivery, episode number eight. Caught between a rock and a hard place, Dario negotiates with the skill of a surgeon and diffuses a very tense situation. Finally, things are starting to look up for our young heroine. Until an Idris comes through the jump point, that is. If you've not caught up with the first run, make sure you don't miss out on this excellent fiction series. The links, of course, will be in our show notes. I have to say, I thought No More Words was excellent. It really made me want to go out and do some uh, space vigilantism. Oh god, yeah, it was, it was a fantastically well-written piece there. I always find that with these one-off pieces like the Terra Gazette, that they're incredibly well-written, but that one was like super poignant and, yeah, just made me think quite a lot. I was... Uh, shocked is probably the wrong word, but yeah, I, I definitely were with you on that. I definitely want to go out and do some uh, space vigilanteism. Episode 23 of 10 for the Chairman was released in which Chris takes 10 questions from subscribers and gives us all the answers we're longing to hear. This week we learned that client-side mods that are purely cosmetic and have no impact on gameplay will be permissible. So, cue the nude mods! Yay! We can finally see what's underneath that black bar that keeps appearing yes, on the mains hangar. at last. Ships that fit in the deluxe hangar will fit inside the asteroid hangar, so your cutlass is in, but your interest is out. We also learned that military service isn't the only way to gain citizenship in the verse, but it's certainly one of the easier ways. Much like the old Roman Empire, anything that will increase your civic or public service status will eventually earn you a good name in the verse. Basically a sort of a reputation system to obtain citizenship, I'm guessing? Yeah, it's very much like a rep system in Stowe. Um, you have personal reputation, which will increase with various factions, but then it sort of gathers steam overall, from what I can tell. Very cool. As always, many more questions were asked. These were just the bits that we thought were the best. So be sure to check out the full version over on the Robert Space Industries website. This week saw the last episode of Wingmen's Hangar number 72, which featured a look back over the previous 71 episodes. From the show's inception to the final episode, we get to see the best of times, the worst of times, the slightly not suitable for camera times. Wingmen's Hangar had it all. We then hear from Ben Lesnick and learn that Around the Verse will take the Wingman's Hangar formula and expand on it. But before he went, Ben awarded the MVP to Mike Moreland, Eric Peterson, and Rob Irving. Here, here, and the final word of the show? Woo! Nuts. Lennon's favorite ship, the Freelancer, 
has finally had its variants released. Woohoo! Available now in the DUR and Max flavors, and also MIS for a limited time only, the Dur model is the freelancer's answer to long duration exploration, sacrificing about a quarter of its cargo capacity for additional scanning equipment, an enhanced fuel tank, and a Pro Series jump drive. The Dur is the ship you want if you value discovery over profit. Next up, the Max comes fitted with an expanded cargo hold, but had to forgo some of its weaponry. But this makes it perfect for filling to the brim with VD. Finally, finally, the MIS is a limited availability variant that swaps the cargo hold for missiles, and so is favored by the military. Get your hands on one or all three by visiting your nearest VD outlet. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely gonna have to get my hands on a miss. Um, I think it's only available to the Monday before this recording comes out, so if you're listening to this and you want to miss, I think you've probably missed the window. But apparently it will be coming back whenever they feel like doing promotions, so you might be able to get your hands on one yet. So what about you guys? Are you interested in... Freelancer's okay, but I, I'm really... I'm kind of holding out to see what the gunship is, and I, I've already spent quite a bit of money on this on this thing, and very little return. At the moment. At the moment, yeah. Don't miss the misc miss. That is quite a tongue twister. I actually like the Dur variant. I think, especially for the cheap uh, real-world price, it gives some pretty nice upgrades. As far See, I look at the upgrade packs as far as what I'm going to get back if I get destroyed. So the main thing you give up on the Dur is a little bit of cargo space and your rear turret. And I can't help but think that it won't cost very much to slap a couple of... Uh, light weapons on a aft turret and ensure them compared to all that advanced scanning and jump drive gear that it gets. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Oh, he's got a point there, actually. You, you have to weigh the balances and what you actually want to do. I mean, you really, I mean, are you an explorer? I mean, is what is going to be your number one function? Yeah, and this is the thing with me is that I bought the Freelancer primarily because it was an exploration craft. The fact that it looks a little bit like the Firefly or a little bit like Serenity was just a bonus for me um, because I, I'm not going to lie, I do have a huge boner for that ship. Um, basically, you know James on Priority One and him and the Vesta, me and the me and Serenity. It's kind of similar, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I bought one because primarily it was an exploration unit, and the the uh, the Dur model, the Dur model. I'm fairly certain I'm probably still going to pick one up, even though, yeah, like you said, it is a very good point that you raised there about what you would get back should you lose the ship. But ultimately, I never really wanted it for cargo running anyway, and I was looking at just using it as an exploration vessel. So it, for me, sacrificing the cargo capacity for the additional scanning equipment, the bigger fuel tank and the jump drive, like you said, it's... Um, yeah, I think that's a trade-off I'm willing to risk my ass on, but this might come back and bite me. So, yeah, keep tuned, and in a couple of years' time, we'll check back and just see exactly how many of these ships I have lost. <laughs> the Fan Spotlight is back for another week, highlighting some of the best shows from around the verse, and this time the best damn space podcast ever actually made the list. To quote from the article... Put on by the guys at Priority One Productions, this weekly show highlights all the news from around the verse with enviable amount of insight. These guys are true pros, and every episode offers something new. Why? Why, thank you. It's about time we're recognized. <laughs> and they called us pros. It's great. I know. Well, it's been a long road getting from there to here. But we've finally done it. The finale of The Next Great Starship is currently happening live as of the time of this recording. From 200 entrants through to 24 teams creating the perfect weapon, then on to 16 finalists who left us one by one until the champion stands tall among the ashes of the competition and is crowned the winner and creator of the next great starship. Not only will their ship be appearing in Star Citizen, but the lucky winning team will scoop a cool $30,000 cash prize, a swag of other goodies, and the first winning ships off the production press for each team member's hangar. The two finalist ships are from Four Horsemen and Shard Collective, and they were both placed in our hangars for us to check out this week. So, did you guys get a chance to look around the ships in your hangar, and what did you think of them? I did not get a chance to. I had enough problems with uh, my hangar. Yes, I had forgotten about it until I logged into my hangar and suddenly w was uh, cripplingly destroyed in my frame rate as the hangar had receded into an infinite distance. 
and we all got upgraded to the deluxe hangar in order to do this and that thoroughly confused me. I didn't read the patch notes before I logged in and I logged in and just thought the game had just like completely corrupted or something because this wasn't my hangar. I have no <laughs> idea where I am, what I'm doing, I've soiled myself, it's just all downhill from here. The ships looked good, although I understand from Four Horsemen's post on the forums that there were some issues with the implementation into the hangar versus their actual finished model. But I still thought both of them, uh, it was nice to be able to see them in 3D and walk around them and get a better feel for them. Yeah, I wish we could have gone inside though. That's the one thing that I will say I was kind of, I, I did spend ages seeing if I could even accidentally clip through the ship just to try and have a look at the interior. But unfortunately, I couldn't find any way in. Overall, though, yeah, I did like it. And the engines on the Four Horsemen one, they're not as big as I was thinking they were going to be, but they're still a little bit bleh, in my opinion. I do like that they showed us more in their video today about how it was uh, almost modular and yes. how they've expanded on the design concept of them as opening up for uh, your downward thrusters and such. Yeah, and I think the fact that they're open to swapping them out is just good things. But um, yeah, Jeff, you were backing Four Horsemen, weren't you? Uh, yes, I was backing, well, I was actually backing the, the was it Three Dingo or? Uh, yeah, Three Dingo. Because I, I still feel that the the outbound engines, they're both, they're both very similar ships. Um, uh, I don't think there's much deviation from them. And um, I didn't like the engine pods on either one of them. So... Um, it was a, the one that really caught me by surprise was um, uh, uh, Zoo. Oh, Infinite Shoe Monkey. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one that caught me by surprise at the last, and I saw that behemoth. Well, would, I mean, it just, I mean, when I saw the bulkiness of that and how it shaped out in the, in the renders, uh, really impressed me as uh, being a, a smart gunship. Mm, yeah. Well, like we said, you're back in the Four Horsemen, and we can announce, uh, although you guys have probably already heard this by the time this podcast goes out, but first place was taken by Four Horsemen. They are the winners of the $30,000 in cash for their team members. Their starship will be included in Star Citizen, and each member of the team receives the first production models of this unit straight off the press, so they don't have to buy their own ship, which would just be quite funny if they did. As well as that, they also get Autodesk Entertainment Creation Suite, Maya Premium, and one high-end AMD-based system with a Radeon R9290X for each team member. You lucky, lucky bastards. Well, second place went to Shard Collective. They are the winners of $10,000 in cash for the team members. They also receive an Alienware laptop, Autodesk Maya 2014, and one of the AMD Radeon R9290X graphics cards for each team member. And finally, we were asked to vote on the third place, and the votes are in. We voted in 3Dingo, the winner of $5,000 in cash for the team members, a copy of Autodesk Maya LT, and an AMD Radeon R9290X for each team member. So, congratulations to the winners, commiserations to the losers, but I really do hope that we will see a lot of the ships that were entered in the verse at some point in the future. Does anybody have anything else they want to say on anything that's come before congratulations on all the winners and all the participants yeah absolutely they obviously were labors of blood sweat and tears and a lot of love and whatever prizes they got they earned them yeah there were some fantastic entrants and just the amount of talent that is in the community as a whole as demonstrated by this competition is just insane so i think we're going to be certainly well catered for for years to come in terms of starships we're going to go ahead close out cig news and learn all about arena commander in this week's nuggets for nuggets you have all flown before but you're about to enter a whole new world so pay attention that means get on your feet nuggets Greetings, sits and sieves, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets, where we like to delve into the guts of Star Citizen and give you all the gory details from the inside out. A warning up front, this game is still in active development, so anything that we say is subject to change. This week, how could we discuss anything else? Arena Commander. So guys, you've both had a chance to play. What are your first impressions? Awesome, awesome. If the rest of the game is anything like this, I'll be uh, truly, truly pleased uh, with the outcomes. I, for one, have been beta testing and playing subpar games for quite some time. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, this is uh, quite polished for an alpha. 
and I'm going to call it an alpha because there's still a lot of work to do. You know, things like uh, editing controller configurations and just the little nuts and bolts that make up a complete game. So, but I, I was really, really impressed. I have to say, I'm taken aback at how well it performs on my older hardware. I have a, a couple generations old i5 and a GTX 460 NVIDIA card. And I have to run on low settings, but the game still looks great. And once I get out in space, I, my hangar frame rate is poor. But once I get out in space, I don't have any real issues at all. I was worried that at the next day I would be driving over to Micro Center and getting something. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that I've heard about Star Citizen is that even on low, it still looks amazing. And uh, unfortunately, the system that I, I play on, um, I've kept it quite up to date. So... I've not had to experience it on that. I can. I'm fortunate enough to be able to play it on uh, very high settings, and just it is just it's so beautiful. I'm I'm just thinking about it, and I'm gonna gonna shed a tear. Uh, one thing that I do really like is when you're flying along, and you can go into the external view, and when you move your ship around, just how every single individual thruster just rotates and moves and fires. And I know that we've seen that in videos you know, again and again, everything that's ever released from RSI when it's been to do with the ships, it's always had a lot of detail like that. But in the back of my mind, I always thought that maybe they'll end up just reducing that in some way, because I was just thinking there's no way they can animate all these moving parts and still get a consistent, coherent frame rate out of the game. But they've managed to do it, and it does look amazing. And again, like you said, for an alpha, it's... Well, we, well, I think we all knew it was going to be the most highly polished alpha that was out there, uh, just given Chris's perfectionism. Um, but yeah, Jeff, you bring up an interesting point about being able to change the controls. Um, one thing that I want to know is, uh, have you been playing this with keyboard and mouse or your HOTAS setup? Uh, with my HOTAS setup and with an addition of uh, voice attack. Basically, it adds another dimension of, of control uh, overlaid by your hands. Um, so you're not always reaching for the keyboard for certain things. Some other form people were using it. Uh, they reminded me that I even owned it because like, it, it's been out since 2009. I've had it for a while. I used it on things like MechWarrior Online and Planet Side 2 and kind of stuff. You know, it takes a while to set up, but once you get it set up, it works quite well, actually. Okay, so what does it do? Does it read in your... Uh, presumably you have a microphone attached and you give it voice commands, is that how it works? Exactly, so if I said uh, overview, system overview, shields, shield systems, power, power overview, weapons, weapons overview, so that can give you an idea, it, it basically goes through the HUD, uh, responds back with, a, with a, a voice confirmation, what I like to call it. It's up to you to determine when those confirmations are needed or not, but I like the confirmation. So you just program it, the system to do a text-to-speech uh, reply, and, and I happen to have a, a great little um, British gal in my computer that, that responds back to me. Okay, well, no, that's, that's fantastic. I'm going to have to look at that because I did find a lot of people saying about it on the forums. Um, so is it just that, obviously, you, you give it a voice command. Is it then, uh, does it emulate keystrokes? Is that what it does? Exactly. It emula- you program it to, to press a key, basically. Now, there's some, some things that work and some things that don't work, uh, I found. It's like switching to strafing mode or when I say disengage thruster coupler. Disengaging main thrusters. And then I go into strafe mode, but then I got to remember that I got different controls on my system to deal with too. So, And some of the HUD controls are not working quite yet, but I, that might be just a matter of uh, key timing or, or hitting the right keys. Mm. And it might always be something that they fix in, in a V0.9 anyway. Um, you know, it could be something to do with the binding options. I got to say, for eight dollars, you get one of the best input controllers you can buy for that kind of money. the The other thing I'd like to see uh, additional is another mode um, that, because I'm always messing with the setups or trying to tweak something uh, in the simulator or see how something works. I would like a mode that wasn't um, that had hostile drones in it that weren't actually trying to kill you targeting drones or or combat practice or something i you know this uh wave thing is kind of limited and i you know i got to be paying attention to them when i'm actually trying to pay attention to um the way my guns are set up a couple of more simulator rounds kind of i don't know if the rounds are are just scenarios that's a better word for them and i'd like to move it into a uh a pod or, or a 
something that we step into that we are able to select all ships from so that we get a, a feel for it. Now, I, I don't expect this to happen overnight, but those are the kinds of the advancements I would like to see for this. Do you have a thirst for knowledge of a certain topic? Is there a mechanic that you think all of us sits and says in the verse should know? Let us know by dropping us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. But for now, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. We interrupt this regularly scheduled feedback loop for an interview with chairman of Cloud Imperium Games, Chris Roberts. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. Hi, this is Tony from Guard Frequency. This is Justin from Guard Frequency. And we're here with Chris Roberts today. Chris, thanks for stopping by. All right, so we've got some questions here. When did you first get introduced into the Chris Roberts universe of games, which Chris Roberts' title made you a disciple of the man, the myth, who is now a legend? Uh, well, do you mean my own games? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, for me, I think all my... I loved like movies and I like games and I kind of always just wanted to sort of escape into worlds. So all my games have usually been about creating a universe that you can go around, a world you can run around in. Uh, so I think if you look at all my games, that's, that's essentially sort of the through line of them. Which one got you the closest so far? Um, well, it's hard to say. So, uh, you know, Wing Com- the first Wing Commander was the game that was the most the closest to like the picture I had in my head at the time. Uh, so that was that was pretty much like it, like it didn't really have any sort of iteration. It was essentially I saw this thing and I made it. I mean, we didn't we didn't even balance the, the missions. You know, like we did the missions out on paper, we entered them in, and they all worked. Uh, so that was probably the, the game that was sort of like the most like magical, I guess would be the way to say it. Uh, Strike Commander was probably the most crafted, so we spent a bunch of time working on that, but there was a whole bunch of technology in that that you know, even to this day is kind of sort of the norm for flight sim stuff. So like the whole, you know, we had a full 3D cockpit you could look around in back in you know, 92, 93, long before anyone else. Full texture, you know, full 3D texture mapping, full road shading before anyone else did. So. So that, that I'm proud for on a technical basis, and that was also the engine that ran a whole bunch of the origin stuff for the next X number of years. Um, you know, Freelancer was gonna be sort of this, uh, the kind of big universe. Uh, I wanted to create this universe that was sort of living, and uh, I didn't get a chance to finish that off the way I wanted to. I was kind of frustrated with the technology, and then also just the, the, the politics or so of, uh, of working with a, Big publisher, uh, so Star Citizen is uh, you know is right now probably my uh, uh, the funnest development experience I have because I sort of feel like I have, there's this sort of dream of this game that you can you know like you can be down on the planet and it's in a fidelity uh, you know it's not simplified in the way that we would simplify it in Privateer and and uh, the same fidelity when you're on the ship and. And it's sort of a, and I think that's kind of what people have responded to is it's the potential of it, right? So you sort of, you can sort of see this, and it's rendered at a level that you can put yourself in, in there in, in, in your mind. And so, uh, you know, it's obviously going to take a lot of work already. There's a lot of people working on it, um, and lucky enough that the community sort of gone behind it in such a way that the, the, we're able to do it at the level that I would like it to do. Because originally I was thinking I'd have to sort of do it on a smaller scale, and then. As the game came out and build it up, and, and now because uh, you know the support's been way beyond what I expected it to be, uh, we can sort of scale wider and, and sort of do it at a sort of bigger, flashier version earlier, which uh, which is you know honestly quite great. So. Are you the first person that uh, has come to the realization that technology and people's imagination have sort of caught up to each other? You know, it's now possible to do the things you've been wanting to do since the first Wing Commander. You, the tools are there; you just have to put them together. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, mean, I, was, I was kind of the thing. I mean, I took a big sabbatical for making games, and, but I was always playing them and looking at them and sort of keeping in touch with uh, all my friends who were still making games. And I sort of, uh, there was a point in time when I was playing games and I was like, you know what, I think I can do what I wanted to do. And I, I was just frustrated. I mean, even on, on Freelancer, where, you know, I had Microsoft that was, you know, backing, you know, pretty generously, uh, I just couldn't 
get the fidelity I wanted. I, you know, I sort of wanted to have those environments like on the ship or down on the ground really sort of feel tactile and you can and, and you know, now I sort of feel like you can and stuff and like you're in the cockpit and you can sort of you feel like you can Reach out. And My stick wiggles back and forth. It, it yeah. bounces back when you let go of it. I mean, that's the sort of stuff. That well, yeah, and we're going to do. I mean, there's actually a whole bunch on like the next few iterations of uh, the Renick Finder where like the actual like uh, reaching out and touching buttons when you turn stuff on arm will be in. So we've got the animations for it, just we didn't have time to hook it all up for the V0.8. But it's, it's one of the things that are going to be hooked up before we get to 1.0. Uh, Star Citizen is in a position to push user generated content really to the next level. I mean, you guys are, are out front. The game wasn't even released yet in the earliest, earliest alpha, and you had a four month long contest. Yeah. What is the craziest idea in that process you said maybe to? The craziest user generated idea that you've said, ah. uh, well, I don't, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, the user generated content is a challenge in Star Citizen and the Position Universe because you have to curate it to some to an extent. Now, like when people are doing their own modding, they can do whatever they want, which is totally cool. But in the persistent universe, you can't just have anyone just sort of say, "I'm making my gunship, and it's got like four thousand guns on it." And everyone's like, "That's, <laughs> that's not fair. That's, that's a real gunship. It's nothing but guns. <laughs> yeah, Forget it's engines." Guns. <laughs> now we have Paul Rendell, who's our lead programmer in LA. I was like, because he set up all the. We have a whole system where you can plug uh, anything into anything else. That we call on the item ports. But basically, the way it works, say on the Hornet, is like the ball turret is a turret item, and then. It has two hard points on which are for two guns that get plugged in. But you know, he could set it, and, and we sort of say, okay, these kind of items can plug into these sort of hard points. You can chain them together. So oh, he no. actually, you know, because he was cheating, <laughs> chained together and like had turret mounted to turret mounted to turret. So he was flying a hornet around with like like literally twenty turrets all with Gatling guns, which you know. Uh, it was fun, but not necessarily yeah. balanced. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> so that you know, so that that's the challenge on the user journey. But I, I'd actually really like to find a way to sort of make it a more formalized process where people can. I mean, because you know, you can see the next great starship. The level of quality and talent out there is pretty amazing. Uh, so almost like you know, I'm trying to think of a way to do it that could be cool in fiction. You know, sort of like one way to do it. We sort of did a little bit of it with um, the, the next great starship. Is almost a you know, just like the U.S. Uh, Army would put out like wrecks for like, oh, we well, need a yeah, request for you know, proposals. Yeah. Okay, we need this yeah. kind of uh, spaceship, or we need this kind of weapon, and then essentially let the community work on it, and yeah. then you sort of select the best ones, and then it goes into the shop, and maybe the people who made them have like some cut of the sales, like it works on Steam or whatever. Yeah, Apple's available for. Sure. Um, and uh, I think that would be really cool. So we just have to figure out how to do that in a sort of. Uh, measured manner that, that, that works and figure out a way to, to curate it properly. Um, when did you realize this project was bigger than you thought it would ever be, you know, going from maybe expected a couple dozen people in the basement in Texas and now it's 250 people? Uh, <laughs> Where was the... Um, well, we, we, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, we actually still need to grow a little bit. <laughs> You're not done. <laughs> no, we do. Uh, no, it's just so much stuff to get done and we're trying to like get it done uh, you know, in a manner that won't take forever. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's really to do with the scope. I mean, basically the level of backing sort of said, okay, well, uh, you know, we want you to go full bore. And so at that point you're like, okay, well, you know what, I, we, we can sort of scale much wider. Uh, and so that's kind of what we've, we've done. Uh, there is a bit of a ramp up time with it, right? So there's a time to get the, the teams up to speed. CryEngine takes some time to learn. It's it's a really powerful engine, but it's it's got a pretty steep learning curve. Um, so I'm hoping uh, that sort of the effect of having such a large group of people is going to be sort of paying off um, probably in the next few months. I mean, there's a bunch of content we haven't shared with everyone yet that we will start to we sort of be focusing on Arena Commander, but we're going to start showing some of those stuff. We've been working on stuff on the persistent universe and. Just the level of environment detail. A lot of parallel processes. Yeah. And some of them yeah. are now just kind of coming online. Well, they're coming online. We're just trying to get everything in place because that the whole idea with it is that, because in, in, in essence, Star Citizen's really like four games in one. It's, you know, there's the space dogfighting, and then there's the first person shooter side, and then there's sort of the, you know, kind of trading planet side stuff. And then, you know, if you want to call it, you know, additional game mode is almost like the big capital ship stuff, which is a whole. Oh different where people like yeah, function and fly a ship together yeah. and work as a team. Um, so, you know, essentially we have all these things that are that are happening and, and you can sort of paralyze uh, those because you know, the, the stuff down on the planet is pretty separate to the stuff out of 
in space, for instance. And so that's sort of what we've been spending. Now, we only really started to uh, crank it up uh, last October, November. So it just takes time to get everything up, sure. getting on speed, getting integrated, and then get processes in place that makes those teams effectively work together, which we're still in the process of doing. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of hoping that you'll sort of everyone's going to start to see the, the rewards of that because there's just a level of fidelity that we're going for that you know it's like okay. a it's, you know, it's a step beyond anyone else's you know, maybe they've just been stupid enough to try it but, <laughs> but uh, brave brave, brave enough. enough yeah yeah uh, but yeah so <laughs> well and is, is hiring Alex Mayberry part of that uh, that sort of drive to make sure all the, the parts work together yeah absolutely I mean I, I spent a long time so basically you know I you know, originally I was I was thinking that it would be sort of a smaller development and we would have a much more limited feature set and then we would build once it came out and with the revenue we'd get from that, we'd get to add on a lot of things we did. And, and as we sort of raised a lot more money on the early process, I said, okay, we'd go wider. But, you know, Alex, you know, I actually spent a lot of time looking to have someone for this role and talked to quite a few different people, but you know, he has a lot of experience because, you know, he was you know, the senior producer on World of Warcraft for quite a while getting, you know, Burning Crusade and uh, Lich, uh, Lich, King, yeah. Lich King out. And uh, then moved on to getting Diablo 3 out the door, which, because uh, he came onto it, um, you know, it was a sort of problem project and then he got it shipped out the door. And both of those, uh, you know, projects have a lot of people, teams all over the world, also dealing with the issue of delivering stuff live, right? So like on yeah. World of Warcraft, you're, you know, essentially, Developing and patching the game while I, while people are using it, you know, millions of people, you know, ten plus million people, uh, and so I, I sort of felt like I needed that experience as part of uh, the group. I'm not saying that we're going to get to ten million people, but just being able to—it's early yet. It's early, you know. <laughs> uh, it, it, just being able to sort of manage a process that's distributed, has a large team, uh, dealing with you know a, an impassioned group of you know community players already. Uh, while doing development, while keeping you know live support, um, you know there, there aren't many people in the in the business that have that kind of experience. I mean, there, there's a few uh, there's a few titles that deal with that, um, and uh, so you know Alex is good. He's also very sort of uh, he's calm and defiant. You know, he's, he's got a he's got a really nice uh, mannerism. He's not a shouter. He's sort of like he's thinking, oh, just get it done. We're gonna get it done. It's sort of this calm, steady. Feel so. Uh, he and you know we have a pretty big production department that we're sort of building up now. So each one of the studios has a couple of people in production. They all report to Alex, and it's their job to sort of essentially kind of uh, make sure that the communications happening between all the different you know, between the engineers and the artists and the right. There may be designers. a dependency in Austin that somebody in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because we 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 yeah we absolutely have different areas that um, you know okay focus on dogfighting in say LA. But you know we're sharing a bunch of stuff in the UK, and so the UK is working on some of those features. And so there needs to be really good coordination because it's like, okay, you're working on this, you're working on this, and make sure people are talking. If there's a blocker, you're saying, okay, here's a blocker, I need this fixed. So you just need visibility on that. And generally, the people that are working on the tests are not the best people to be sort of watching over that because they're so focused on the tasks they're working on. Um, so that's all part of the process that we've uh, been working on. Um, the dogfight's really the first one that sort of honed that. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm fairly confident that it's uh, going to be a pretty uh, smoothly working machine. So, um, so, and you know, as long as uh, as long as we get new people joining, then we can afford to keep it up at the scale it is. Uh, so, I hope. Well, hey, we're spread, we're doing our part to spread the word. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. Everyone knows your history of say striving for perfection, and now here you are, out front, big risky project. No one's ever done this before. Uh, mapping the world, uh, an unknown world out. Do you sometimes find yourself your own worst enemy? The the perfection, but the need to get it out. Is, is that a, is that a tension? Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. Seriously, they the production guys are like the, the dogfight. They 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 were like, come on. I was like, yeah, but we can get the breathing manager because we got this whole like, you don't have it right now, but this is breathing manager. So like it like when you're pulling G's and stuff, or when you're getting hit, it's sort of so you can actually because like the, the G force. What happens in G force is. It's not instant. Like if you pull nine Gs, you don't black out. What happens is if you're at nine Gs for a period of time, slowly, yeah. and then after a certain amount of time, you will black out. But right now, you don't really have feedback of how long you're at it. Whereas the breathing is going to be like, <laughs> so you'll hear that. So you'll hear it, and so we got the uh -huh. whole breathing, like you get hit uh, or whatever. So that was kind of one of the features that you know 
code's done, but it was like too risky to put into the V0.8 release. Mm. So I was considering it, and the production guys, come on, Chris, get it. <laughs> so, uh, are, they t are they encouraging you? Are they telling you, go, Chris, no, go? No, no, oh, no, they're they're saying, go, Chris, no, 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 no. Don't play anymore and don't tweak. Because <laughs> okay. I have an artist come to me and says, I made the explosion better. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's put the explosion in. And they're like, don't put anything more in. <laughs> because the thing is, when you start to put some stuff in the final, yeah. when you think you've got a release candidate, even if you put something in that you think is low risk, if it breaks something, then you got to go back and around so, uh, so, so yeah, so they, so there's a little bit of give it, push it, give and take. I'm trying to put a process in, so there's a certain amount of keeping me, uh, keeping me honest. And I will say that the fact that we can patch it and deliver it makes it easier for me to let the baby go. You know, yeah. it's like oh, to yeah. sort of say, okay, well, I get that it's not exactly how I want it, but you know, I'm going to make it better over the time. So. Yeah. So it released Wednesday, and we got a patch Friday. So I think we can officially declare a content drop now. Right. You know, we've had it's been It's been twenty four well, hours. Actually, actually there's a lot more content that's gonna go in next week's one. This this, this <laughs> one this one this one we didn't want to risk because we were putting the next right. great starship ships in it and stuff, so we didn't want to risk breaking it because we needed it for the, the show this weekend. But yeah, we've we we're, we're there's a lot of work that's gonna happen between now and getting the V one point zero out, uh, which uh, I think is gonna be good. And by the way, I like getting it out there early because you get everyone's yeah. feedback and opinions and and uh, you know, yeah, I think I think you need it. I mean, like a lot of times, if you were just doing a normal game, you know, you you only get to act on that feedback if you're lucky enough to make the sequel, because then you sort of make the game, and then you'll get the feedback. And when you're making the sequel, you sort of take on the things that, that resonated with you. We're getting an opportunity to do that early, and also sort of identify some issues where you know maybe uh, you know it needs to be sort of set up better or explained better. You know, so we've got a you know, there's a lot of debate right now about the flight model. And, <laughs> and, and the control input stuff, and, and uh, you know, there's some very, uh, some, like very specific reasons why we have this something, and like sit down and I explain it to people. Uh, I think there's been a few posts that have sort of come off the way it is, and people go, "Oh, okay, right. Well, that's pretty cool." But it's like it's not if you're used to you know the old-fashioned like the Wing Commander style, or even the Elite Dangerous style, which is basically an atmospheric flight model. Um, in space, so it's a sort of simplified atmospheric spike model. You don't have any sort of energy conservation via altitude. Right. You don't have altitude in space. Um, you know, the the Star Citizen one is very different because it's actually the you know the most it's the most accurately simulated uh, sort of space sim that my knowledge has ever been done because we're actually simulating exactly where the thruster is and, and create thrust at that point, which then will create linear or angular inertia mm -hmm. and uh, all the ships you know have you know, their mat like all the items that are attached onto them uh, if the wing blows off it all changes the mass and the moment of inertia and so the issue like that people have been sort of fighting with like they're saying oh well you know I kind of overshoot my target is because when you're in space you know when you fly a plane well basically a plane is all it's all up force right it's right so the air underneath there and so when you move the airline you pretty much get like your flaps or airline or rudder they've got pretty much one to one ratio for when you flap it so then that will instantly turn you like that so when you're flying an atmospheric model you pretty much have a pretty linear mapping between the joysticks to sort of what your mm -hmm. angle of uh, you know incidences or whatever you want to call it um, whereas in space that doesn't happen there is no there's no atmosphere so there's no friction so what actually happens is the thrusters have to deploy and they've got to fire to say you know mm -hmm. rotate you this way and move you that way and they've a got to gimbal into position and be fire and as they fire because they're giving you thrust it's giving you inertia so you accelerate right so the the issue starts off slow starts off slow so the issue is so if i'm starting to i decide okay i want to pull up so i'm going up like that it's thrusting like that well the ifcs doesn't it's not clairvoyant it doesn't know when you're going to let go of the stick it doesn't know when you're going to go in the so opposite just keep direction going. so it goes and then as soon as you let go it goes okay he wants to go to zero or uh, rotation or he wants to start going this way but then it's got to fire the thrusters the other way to retrograde you and then go the other way. So essentially, the real problem is it's not instant, right? Like we could completely overpower the thrusters and they would pretty much be instant, but then that wouldn't necessarily be realistic. So in some ways, a lot of flying uh, it has to be a bit more like, say if you drive a car and you go to a stop sign, right? You don't drive 50 miles an hour, put your brake as you get to the stop because you'll go right past it, right? right? Uh, you go, oh, there's a stop sign ahead of me and you start to brake and slow down for it. And so in some ways, like the better flying would be, okay, I know I want to get to this point. You start to ease off before you get there and then you'll be on it. But that takes a sort of a little bit of getting used to and we still got stuff to to finesse on that. It's like it's a skill-based thing. Well, that's the point. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. I that. But the, the real point is because, uh, you know, we've got all these other different modes where you can turn on comp stuff, which is a little like mm -hmm. turning off traction control or 
um, you know, you can do the decoupled mode, which is sort of the Battlestar Galactica yeah, deal like, where you're going thing, you turn around, and of all these different like tweaks and dials and stuff, and then also the the energy management uh, is 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 actually in the game, but the HUD interfaces are really exposed properly right now, so you can't right. like put power to your thrusters or put power to your shields and do all this other stuff. Uh, but all these are meant to provide dials for you to be able to kind of change what's happening in the flight situation and combat situation because the problem with an atmospheric sort of simplified atmospheric model is dogfighting in a pvp like in a multiplayer situation can be incredibly boring because basically you're in a turning battle and if you're both in the same ship that turns at the same rate it's impossible you just basically spin around forever now in the wing commander model right or if you're flying against npcs what you do is you just give the ships the, the npc ships and then you shoot them you down win. and you feel tough uh, but if you're playing in a, in, a, in, in a sort of player versus player situation, which will be happening in you know, Star Citizen, it's going to be both PvE versus PvP, um, that model's not very good. It's kind of boring. So uh, deliberately, one of the early designs was to like try and figure out how to allow enough sort of things to dial and change so when you're in these situations that people can try different things and it can, can, you know, so if the other person doesn't react fast enough, then all of a sudden the tables will get turned and, and that's kind of the idea so the idea is that with what we've got there's a lot more depth to it long term but it takes time to learn uh, i will agree that the very early um you know experience needs to be like a little easier and simpler and all the rest of the stuff but that's why we're getting out there we're getting it out there for everybody to uh, play and the feedback and sort of go, okay, well, you know, I can see this is a bit of an issue, uh, so let's try and fix a little bit of that. Uh, but long term, I think this model is is, is by far it's going to be the best model because it's, it feels realistic. I mean, the difference is like if you fly the Aurora versus the 300i and the Hornet, they all feel very different. Mm -hmm. the, the Aurora feels much more like sort of a mini or a you know, Beetle, yeah. kind of like nippy, but doesn't have great acceleration. The 300i sort of feels fast. Uh, and turns really well, but doesn't really take a lot of damage. And the Hornet um, has a lot of power, but it's heavy, so it sort of slides around a bit, but can take a lot of damage and dish out a lot of damage. And with a properly physically modeled setup, like I'm talking about on the, the, the flight side, you can really give characteristics to the different ships because the, the sort of simplified model, which was the Wing Commander model, all you can really do is sort of change the turning speed and the, the top speed or the acceleration speed. And it doesn't have a feel. I mean, like if you actually get in the ship and you turn Comstab off and G-Safe off and start flying around in the asteroids, you really kind of feel the momentum. So I would say flying a Star Citizen ship is a lot more like, uh, you know, learning to be a really good driver. And if you know good drivers, they turn off all the traction control and they can do power slides to get into it. Once they get the feel. Yeah, the feel. I mean, that's right. kind of, and so yeah, so, but that's, like I said, it's not, not instantly so uh, obvious. Repetition, practice. But we're getting out there and, and, you know, like I said, we're gonna, you know, I think at the end of the day, people are, are, are ultimately gonna be quite happy with it. I mean, I, I definitely have seen on the forums as being, you know, people that were like, I hate this flight model, and then someone sort of explained kind of what I explained, mm -hmm. and then they tried some of the different modes, and yeah. then come back and they said, oh, oh yeah. you know what, I've tried that, <laughs> and that's actually kind of cool, and I can see how this, the, that's all going to go Because it's just, you know, you're used, yeah. you're kind of used to something, right? You're used to, you know, you back this, you play Wing Commander and Privateer, and, it, you know, it's it's different than that because it's that, a more yeah. sophisticated uh, model. So uh, it's just, you know, that's the nature of these. It's tradition with all of our guests that we do is we open it up to you. We know you thank the community every single time, so well, we'll, just, we'll just we'll just do that. But is there anything else that we all would be really gearing up for? Uh, well, I, the biggest thing is, I mean, we're just going to be focusing on getting the multiplayer working properly, and we're going to be adding some extra stuff in the um, arena commander setup. So, like, one of the things will be sort of flying around. Uh, racing thing that we're going to do. So when the M50 and the 350R are ready to fly, we're going to actually release those with a racing level cool. course. So cool. you can do time trials and oh, which would be kind of cool. So what our kind of plan is to use Arena Commander as sort of like uh, a staging base to sort of try different game mechanics out. Um, cool. You know, so you sort of do that and eventually then that, that flying around will become the Murray Cup in the Persistent Universe. This would be where you first try it out and do that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm just enjoying like it's totally cool to see Twitch streams and people making their videos mm -hmm. and and uh, people discovering a lot of the nuance because there's a lot of stuff that's like a lot. People don't realize how much is actually in the Arena Commander because some of it isn't accessible. Like I said, the, a lot of the power management because all the ship systems fully 
completely work. And we have debug modes where we can like adjust all our power and stuff, but the actual like input device stuff, yeah. uh, like isn't fully, wasn't fully finished out for the HUD and everything like that. So when that is, I think it'll be pretty interesting to because what I really want to see is when the multiplayer's going for the whole community, I want to see people starting to develop different tricks, right? I want to have this whole, you know, there's got to be, there's got to be a whole new set of like Immelmans and all that kind of stuff. Yes, yes. Uh, which would be super cool. Yeah, no, no, I know, but the equivalent is like <laughs> yeah, the, equivalent, the, equivalent the equivalent is like you know, yeah. like if you're going through, like if you if I was if you're on my tail and I'm going this way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And th at that point, my thrusters are all fired. They're, they're actually firing to try and keep me in that turn. So I, right. I didn't know we doing that. So at some point, I could like enter decouple mode, which would basically just keep my vector going. You'd probably overshoot, then I'd re-engage decouple mode and drop down behind you. So there's a whole bunch of different like maneuvers you can sort of figure out and pull. We'll call that one the Roberts turn. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thanks for stopping by. You're welcome. We now return you to your regularly scheduled feedback loop. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! From our show post over at GuardFrequency.com, Sean Newboy writes in and says, Loved the episode. Thanks to Ben for being a part of it. And he answers the community question and says, No, we don't need a prime directive. Let them fend for themselves. And I think Ostron agrees. He wrote, Great show and interview, guys. Regarding the prime directive, a lot of the fiction has hinted that some sort of equivalent statute exists in the UEE to protect developing species from external interference though that probably follows the same rules as piracy. If you're developing species in UEE space, you're good to go. Otherwise, you better hope the pirates that find you think you're more useful as cultivated pets rather than the latest exotic cuisine. There you have it. I mean, it could come down to a very, very long debate about the philosophical basis of what human beings are. I mean, are we exploiters? Do we care about our universe and what's around us? And I really don't want to get into that debate, but a lot of you are fraggers. <laughs> so you, you think that people will mostly adopt a shoot first, ask questions later stance? I, I do, because there's no repercussions. I, you know, it's like people believing that uh, red light cameras are there just for somebody to make money. My grandfather used to have this adage, and I couldn't believe he used to say it. He, he said, well, there wasn't a cop around to see me do it, you know, and it's like, Really? <laughs> I, I mean, if that's the only thing that stops... It's only illegal if you get caught. Yeah, if, if that's your moral ineptitude, then I feel sorry for you. V.T. Kager writes in, Perhaps a prime director could be good. However, I suspect it'll be up to each individual. It'll be interesting to see how first encounters go down in the history books. As for the Bengal Carrier in Space Engineers, I have begun working on it as a joint effort with perfect blinky. When it's done, the ship will be a full kilometer long. Perfect Blinky has also made some incredible ships like the Origin 300 series, the Avenger, various Hornets, etc. And here are some links for his awesome work. Yeah, we will have those links in the show notes. I went and checked out this work, and last week we highlighted a few ships that they've done, but not only have they done a full hangar's worth of ships, they've actually modelled the full deluxe hangar with all these ships inside, and it's you're capable of uh, sitting in the ships, taking off, flying, and I said last week I don't think they slept or drank or ate, and this time I'm actually wondering if they've invented a time machine and can just slow down the universe enough to get all this done, because the amount of work that they've put into it is staggering it is absolutely fantastic and if you want to know what it would be like to wander around the address but you've kind of wanted to know what it's like to wander around the address in sort of low resolution blocky 3d then this is the game and these are the files so get on it from our thread over at the Robert Space Industries fansite subforum, student of Rackham writes in to say, you just couldn't help but inject some Trek into Star Citizen. Oh well, on to my comment. I think that you should be able to do whatever you want, but if you screw it up, the UEE might not be too happy with you. Yeah, I think that goes back to what other people were saying about it's going to be similar to piracy. So if you land on a planet, it's entirely up to you whether you decide to make contact with the locals. And yeah, if you screw it up, they're much like being a pirate, stealing some goods. They might even end up with a bounty on your head, which I can fully see. As for the injecting Trek into Star Citizen, well, yeah, okay, you've kind of got me there. I'm a bit of a nerd, but hey, so is everybody else. It's it's all good. That's why we're here. Especially Jace. Look at him. He's nerdy. nerdy. It's true. He did invite me on here. 
I literally am the injection of some Trek into your star citizen. Well, I don't look at it as injecting Trek. Yes, it's Trek-ish because it's the prime directive, but it was the only reference we had to something that everybody seemed to know what we were talking about. From Twitter, Master T'Challa writes, by the way, I love the reference. I've been reading early 60s Fantastic Four comics, and I just got to the first appearance of T'Challa. He writes, listening to GuardFrequency.com in the AM and rolling DFM in the afternoon. Winning. Can't argue with that. Win, win. Also from Twitter, Scum writes, wonder who would have more bounties, fake info guys or that heckler at PAX? Could be a close call. Uh, Jace, you're kind of like a neutral third party here. Uh, fake info or heckler at PAX? Mm, I got to go with the fake info guys because I think the heckler seemed worse because he was near the mics. From what I hear from people who were actually there, they weren't that big a deal. But the fake info guys even got Shiv. I do have to give kudos to both the official forum moderators and the moderators of the subreddit who really had their hands full for those couple of days with quashing bogus threads and misinformation. I used to be a moderator of a pretty big guilds forum in World of Warcraft, and it is a thankless job. So again, kudos to all those folks. So how was it for you? Did we make you feel like you reached wave 10 of Vandal Swarm, or did we plow into an asteroid straight out of the hangar? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. You can check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. And now you can subscribe to us, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just search for us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot us an email, squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 26 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 27 on the 17th of June, so be sure to keep an eye out for our episodes over at guardfrequency.com or our post at the Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down, you can hit the contact form at the top of our website. All the details for all our contact methods will be in the show notes. Well, do you like what we do? Do you want to come and join our team? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. We are always on the lookout for talented individuals, and right now we're seeking an audio engineer to come and join us. So if you'd like to become a part of the best damn space sim podcast ever, then we would love to hear from you. And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday night, join us live at guardfrequency.com forward slash live, 8 p.m. Central, 2 a.m. Sunday, Greenwich Mean Time. Well, we want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Thanks to our community manager, Jay Shivery-Bean, and our artist, Simon Chawton-Edwards. Very special thanks to Chris Roberts from CIG for taking time out of his schedule to come and talk to us at the finale of The Next Great Starship. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Just visit ronaldjenkins.com to hear more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank all you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. This is Chris Robinson. Stay on the dot. Would you consider going? Absolutely. I, I wouldn't even have to second, second good. Uh, I think that one. I think. Yeah, see, this came I think up. Lennon's just Sorry, trying guys. to get rid of you. I, I know. No, no, I want to go. I want to go with ah. him. I don't, I don't care. I had this conversation with my girlfriend recently, and uh, she got, got a bit sort of put out because she asked me, she said, if they wanted volunteers to go to Mars, would you go? I was like, yes. She's like, even without me? I'm like, there's there's no second thoughts about it so you know if if me and jeff have to keep each other company um it's it's not gay it's just two men admiring each other's strengths (laughs) (laughs) this is taking a turn for the worst let's sweep out of this stay on the guard 
Elon Musk, genius billionaire, Playboy threat, Playboy based. Should have picked is, an easier. Is that word a stamp there, really. collector or? I think so. A Playboy stamp collector. Yep. Elon Musk, genius billionaire, Playboy philanthropist. Wow, philanthropist. Philanthropist. Elon Musk, genius billionaire. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Philanthropist. <laughs> philanthropist. Elon Musk, genius, billionaire, and playboy philanthropist. Elon Musk, genius, billionaire, and playboy philanthropist. Whatever, I'll cut that. <laughs> Clustered in redundant pairs in four engine pods with each engine capable of producing 71 kilonewtons of thrust. Is that Now, CRG, that is how you write specs. <laughs> is that, is that also a metric? Well, that's exactly my point. That's exactly my point. None of this, like, you know, oh, that's two blueberries and a muffin. No, no. 71 kilonewtons of thrust. That's how you write a spec. So is that TR3 or TR4? It's TR. Shut up, Jason. Get off our podcast. So how was it for you? Oh, let me redo that. We then hear from Ben Lesnick and and learn about Arnold. The, oh, sorry. Arnold. The yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Verse Arnold. <laughs> Sorry. Get to this chopper. <laughs> I'm glad that came afterwards. <laughs> Did voice attack pick up on the web? <laughs> I don't I don't I'm not too sure I want to know what you've got programmed. Sounds like Jeff. some uh, flare options for the Sorry. back of your uh, freelancer. Going with the uh, <laughs> yes. pickup truck theme. <laughs> yeah. Hostile incoming, and then Jeff responds, ah, nuts. <laughs> Shields raised. Good choice. I like your wife. Is she single? Not yet. Okay. If I spend any more money on the game, I'll have her look you up. <laughs> you, you, we're just going to have to call you Tony from now on. And Can you go on a big lawyery-based rant about something really trivial? Like I, slots I love like prairie chickens. Oh, tell me about prairie chickens. Well... You know, oh, they're... please. Let's, let's, let's continue <laughs> on. Well, I don't want to hear any more about been... prairie chickens. <laughs> yeah, not unless they're fried and in a basket with some chips. That's, uh... this, this, this episode already has a Lennon slant to it already. I can tell from the, the, the... precise metrics and the, and, the, and the British to dollar conversion. So. <laughs> hey, if, you know, when the cat's away, the British mice will convert everything into metric as it should be. Um, so, yes. But I have noticed, though, time-wise, we're, we're doing fantastically. So Tony is obviously the one who is dragging us down here. 